Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. There's a huge animal cruelty controversy that is striking the largest dairy producer in Indiana and one of the largest in the country. Video released by a group called Animal Recovery Mission, also known as ARM, showed cases of abuse and cruelty in the treatment of calves at Fair Oaks Farms. I saw the video myself. It is really horrible. There's caretakers punching and kicking calves. They're stepping on them. There's one part of the video where one is being beaten with a steel rebar. It's pretty horrible stuff. There's also drug use by some of the employees that was also caught on camera. On one side of the issue is Richard Kudo, founder of Arm, who has been called the Batman of Animal Cruelty. And on the other side is Mike McCloskey, who is the founder of Fair Oaks Farms, who runs the Fair Oaks Dairy Adventure which some have called the Disneyland of agricultural tourism. We spoke to Sarah Bowman. She's an environmental reporter at the Indianapolis Star, and she joins us to break down how this all got started. It actually got started to this group arm that you mentioned. The founder of that group, a gentleman named Richard Kudo, this group's been around since 2010, and, and they do a lot of this type of work where they will investigate whether it's a dairy operation like this, another type of farm. They've looked at a lot of illegal horse slaughterhouses and that sort of stuff. But the founder heard about the dairy adventure at Fair Oaks Farms, which is almost kind of like a little bit of a theme park experience. They say, you know, you're getting a behind the scenes look at kind of the operation there and and what happened. And so he heard about this and, you know, said that he booked a ticket on up here to check it out. And he said that as he was going through it, with his knowledge of how these things work, he felt that the tour wasn't being completely transparent or honest in its depiction of what's going on. And so they decided right then that they wanted to take a deeper look into what was going on here at Fair Oaks. And so they decided to put one of their undercover investigators on it and had him go out for some job interviews. And that investigator got hired as a calf caretaker at one of the Fair Oaks farm locations. And that led to the video that was released. They did an investigation from August to November of 2018. And and that was said that they took over 100 hours of footage and in that time documented a lot of the actions that you were describing in terms of both the abuse to the calves, some drug abuse problems and just some various other things that, you know, that were going on right. there at Fair Oaks. And that was part of what was so shocking is that that undercover investigator worked at the Fair Oaks farm there from August to November of 2018. So it was just three months he was able to get all of this abuse on tape. Those other employees that were doing drugs and stuff, I mean, were comfortable enough around that guy within the three month time span to be mm-hmm. doing those things. I mean, that's pretty shocking. What has the founder of Fair Oaks Farm said about this? Because he released a video. He said that he mm-hmm. acknowledged it. I think some people in question that were in that video have been fired now, but how are they responding to this? It is kind of interesting that only being there three months and, and all that it seemed that this investigator managed to record 
board. The founder, Mike McCloskey, came out right away and he acknowledged that there was animal cruelty and abuse in the videos. I mean, he did not try and deny it or say that this wasn't their farm or anything like that. But he said that it was these five individuals, four employees, and one was a third party truck driver that were the main ones in the video and they were the ones responsible for these actions. And and so he said that the truck driver is no longer allowed on their property. Three of the Fair Oaks workers had already been fired for what McCloskey said was some issues with how they were treating the animals. The fourth person had not yet been fired, but was fired on Tuesday, the day that the video was released. He has since put out another video statement saying that it was just contained to these individuals, but they're going to really make sure that their training system is working and they're going to install camera monitors around their property to make sure that this sort of treatment does not happen again. But it is interesting, you know, because a lot of people are asking the question of, you know, is it really contained to these individuals or is it more of a systemic problem? And, you know, that's something that I, I don't think is known yet. What has been some of the fallout from this now? Because I know there's some grocery store chains that have stopped carrying some of their products. Fairlife is a brand of milk that's done in conjunction with the Coca-Cola company. It's a low-fat, high-protein milk. So some grocery store chains have said that they are not going to be selling those products anymore. Jewel Osco, one chain, and they've got something around 185 stores, mostly in Illinois, some in northern Indiana. You know, they've said that they were removing the milk from their shelves. Some other stores haven't necessarily, you know, put statements out or anything like that. But even just myself in in my grocery shopping have noticed that the Fairlife milk has not been there. Coca-Cola, the company that Fair Oaks has this deal with for Fairlife, as of right now, they've said that they feel confident in the way that Fair Oaks is responding and the actions and steps that they're taking. And they're continuing to offer their support and help in any way. But, you know, as of right now, they seem to have plans to stay in that partnership, that joint venture. And the feedback that we've been seeing and hearing on social media has been really interesting because there's been a lot of people who are saying that they will never drink Fair Life again and that they are really upset to think that this was happening because they always thought that Fair Oaks Farms treated their animals so well. But then we are also hearing from a lot of people that are saying, hey, it was these four people. They're owning up to it. They're handling it. And I still support them. I'm still going to buy their products. I'm still going to go visit their farm and eat at their restaurant and, you know, do the dairy adventure. I mean, so we're really, in terms of public opinion, we're hearing strong opinions, I should say, from both sides. So, I mean, it will, obviously, as this investigation plays out, be interesting to see what happens there. But it will be interesting to see kind of how this uh, also fares in the court of public opinion. Right. Let's talk about the two men behind the faces of both sides of this. So Mm -hmm. on one side, we have Richard Kudo, who's been described as a yuppie Rambo or the Batman of animal cruelty. And on the other side, we have Mike McClowski, who's the founder of Fair Oaks Farms. They set up their dairy adventure there. It's kind of the Disneyland for agricultural tourism. There's a hotel. There's a gift store there. He's been at the White House to meet with President Donald Trump. He's got a lot of political connections. So tell us briefly about each guy. 
it was interesting to kind of take a look at these characters or the, or the main folks behind this. So, yes, yeah, so you have Richard Kudo, who's the, the founder of ARM, or Animal Recovery Mission. He founded that in 2010 down in Florida in the Miami area. And for him, he had been volunteering at a local SPCA down there. And he just was seeing some of these things go on, especially down in Florida. They apparently have a problem with illegal horse slaughterhouses and trading horse meat on the black market. And so he started to learn more about this through his volunteering. And he just kind of felt that enough wasn't being done. And and he he was a real estate developer, you know, that was his job. And so during his evenings, though, he started to go out on these missions and do surveillance and that sort of thing. And I mean, no training, completely self-taught is what he's told me. And he decided that was what he wanted to do. You know, he has always had a love and respect for animals. And so he just jumped into that full time. And over these last, you know, almost 10 years, they continue to do these investigations into these slaughterhouses, into illegal animal fighting. You know, in the last few years, they've started looking into factory farm operations and these sorts of things. And then on the other side, you have Mike McCloskey, who was born in Pennsylvania, grew up in Puerto Rico and trained and was a veterinarian. And his wife met and they decided they wanted to start a dairy farm. And before they were down in the Southwest and they had a cooperative down there. And he's always been someone who's viewed as an ideas man, I guess, someone who's really innovative and and pushing boundaries. And so he had come up with this new way of processing the milk and a lot of others in his cooperative weren't really on board with doing that as well uh, because it was a bit more, you know, time and labor intensive. And so he left and started his own co-op, which was Select Milk Producers. and wound his way up in Indiana and then has since obviously out of that has Fair Oaks Farms and Fairlife and has just grown to be this really, really large, powerful farmer here in Indiana and uh, across the U.S., of course. And in our reporting, we were able to find some of his connections as it comes with that, a lot of contributions he's given over the years to different political figures. He was on you know, an advisory committee, an agricultural advisory committee for the Trump administration during that transition. He's been to the White House. He's gotten personal shout out from Indiana's governor in this year's state of the state. So, I mean, certainly is a figure who is very prominent and well-known in Indiana and across the U.S. Kudo, for his mm-hmm. part, doing great work, and he's getting praise from cops for his investigations and then criticism also, this brand of vigilanteism, you know, kind oh, right, of could of undermine the ability for cops to prosecute animal abusers. And for McCloskey, growing up as a, a veterinarian and you know he has this image of an animal lover to have this happen at some of his properties it doesn't sound right but who knows all these things uh, don't really mix let's just get into the final part of this from what we've gotten out of this investigation so far we've had three people who face criminal charges but they're just misdemeanors. And that's all we have so far. Yeah. And that just is something that's come out out and really been developing in the last few hours. Authorities just announced that three people are facing criminal charges in connection with the cruelty that the video and investigation showed at Fair Oaks. They've not identified who those suspects are. And I don't even know at this point if they've really, you know, made it clear that it is the people who were in the video, though, of course, you know, that people will assume. That's where we are right now 
and whether or not there is a larger investigation into the practices going on at Fair Oaks. I know there's been discussion of an independent auditor coming in to, you know, look at the practices there. And I know that ARM has also said that they have additional information that they plan to release at some point, no no kind of set schedule for that. But I mean, I, I so I certainly don't think that this situation and, and this case with Fair Oaks is by any means complete. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Sarah Bowman, environmental reporter at the Indianapolis Star. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Big news coming out of the Operation Varsity Blues scandal. Former Stanford University sailing coach John Vandermoor is the first person to be sentenced in the college admissions cheating scandal. He was sentenced to one day in prison, six months of home detention, two years of supervised release, and a $10,000 fine. There was one big thing that worked in his favor is that he never pocketed the money for himself. Rather, he sent it back all to the sailing program. My producer, Miranda, joins us to break it all down. The judge called him likely the least culpable of the scandals cases because the money he got went directly into the sailing program instead of in his own pockets. And he's the only one who so far seems sincerely remorseful that he admits he made a terrible mistake and that he's really disappointed in himself. So the federal prosecutors are disappointed with this ruling. They wanted him to be given a 13 month sentence so that they could have what they call a meaningful prison term intended to help repair public confidence in the college admission system. But for this part, he got off kind of light. The prosecutor said that his actions not only deceived and defrauded the university that employed him, but also validated a national cynicism over college admissions by helping wealthy and unscrupulous applicants enjoy an unjust advantage over others. And that's really what the heart of this whole Operation Varsity Blues thing is, is just the unfairness that comes with money. Mm -hmm. For his part, he already pled guilty in March to all of this. They said that he accepted $610,000 in payments. Stanford said it identified $770,000 in funds that came from William Rick Singer, who was the mastermind behind this whole thing. So who knows exactly what dollar amount lies in. But going back to how the judge said he was the least culpable. One of the interesting was is that all of the students that Rick Singer brought to him, none of them even went yeah. to Stanford. A, a few of them did get that distinction as their recruits and whatnot, but they all chose other schools to go to. Some went to Vanderbilt, some went to Brown. And the way these guys even got hooked up, because if you know anything about college athletics, Sailing isn't an NCAA sports. There's no scholarship for it. There aren't recruits. People aren't scouting high school students to be joining these teams. So Mr. Vandermore hasn't really gotten any of that kind of support. So when Rick Singer just kind of called him out of the blue and said, hey, I know these child Olympians. I know the parents of these kids who want to get into your sailing program. Because when Vandermore got this call from him, he said, yeah, I'll talk to you. I have a hard time finding students to join my sailing program. And part of his job as a coach is also to raise money right. and get money for the program. Vandermore said that part of the pressure to raise money was to get new boats, which run about $8,000 to $10,000 a piece. So he's feeling this pressure. This guy, Rick Singer, comes to him. And the reports were that he just got a call out of the blue from Rick Singer. One of the students in particular that he wanted to introduce to Vandermore was this one student who we later found out 
those were the parents that ended up paying Rick Singer $6.5 million to try to get their kid into some of these top schools. Yeah, so Singer showed up to Stanford a day after calling Vandemer. And towards the end of that initial conversation, he was like, hey, I've got a student I want to introduce to you. Vandemer ultimately didn't help her application because it was too late in the season to try to tag her as a potential athletic recruit. But she did get entrance to the school through regular admission. So he got off on that one. But once this all came to light, that girl got expelled. And that's when Vandemer got fired. Rick Singer just kept giving him money and said, well, just save this for the next student and the next student and the next student. And Vandemer, to his part, really believed he was taking donations, not bribes. Vandermore would take the check straight down to the Stanford Development Office and put the funds into two different accounts. One was for uniforms and equipments for the program, and the other one is to pay for the salary of an assistant coach. So, again, to what the judge's point was, he didn't benefit personally from this. It just went right back into his program there. The last thing I want to mention is that day that the cops actually come to get you. Yeah. It was 7 a.m. He was in shorts and a T-shirt getting his kids ready for school. That's when uh, federal agents, one from the FBI, one from the IRS, came to knock on his house. He talked to them for two hours. They already had a ton of evidence. That's why he pled guilty and went through the whole process. He still had to coach a sailing regatta knowing everything was going to go down in flames shortly thereafter. So he was just filled with remorse and feeling like crap. He lost everything, Oscar. He lived, that house that the FBI agents knocked on was Stanford teacher housing. So he lost his home. He lost his job. He's now taking colleges online through Cornell to try to get a second wind and a new career. He's only 40-something years old. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. A quick political story. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is leaving her post at the end of the month. Sanders is returning to her home state of Arkansas, where President Trump said that he hopes she runs for governor. We spoke to Daniel Littman, reporter for Politico, for how Sanders changed the game, getting rid of daily press briefings. There's been lots of rumors and some reporting that Sanders was going to leave soon, although we've been hearing that for the last six, seven, eight, nine months. And so she's definitely stayed on longer than we had thought. The question is, who's going to replace her? Because right now they don't even have press briefings very often. So there are some deputy press secretaries, but this is not something that Trump really prioritizes very much. The president gave her a lot of praise. They were at an event at the White House and said, you know, I hope she runs for the governor of Arkansas when it comes up. That's not until 2022. Here's a brief little statement from uh, Sarah Sanders. It's one of the greatest jobs I could ever have. I've loved every minute, even the hard minutes. Uh, I have loved it. I love the president. I love the team that I've had the opportunity to work for. And that's very interesting. There have been some very hard times you're talking about. They don't really have a replacement lined up yet. And you also mentioned the daily press briefings. This is part of her legacy, getting rid of those daily press briefings that have been so commonplace with past administrations. This was a decision. And it's hard to say who was behind it, but she didn't want to be in the line of fire anymore. And there's always a crisis or multiple crises every day at the White House under Trump. And so she did not want to be taking those arrows anymore. And so she just eventually stopped having them. They had cut back under Spicer and she lasted much longer than Sean. But we've been wondering what her next step would be with her moving down to Arkansas. That raised lots of questions about her next political move, but she might also do something in PR. But if you're a big company like a GE, would you want to hire someone from the Trump administration? 
politician who has had to defend lots of stuff Trump has said. She's gotten caught up in a couple of little lies here and there and having to defend herself after. We all know that incident that she had at that restaurant where they refused to serve her and her guests. She's part of this Trump, just the overall Trump persona now for you know how ardently she's defended the president on so many things. So it'll be very interesting to see how she transitions into normal life and what kind of reception she's going to get at that point. Generally, reporters liked her and she was responsive on the major stories of the day. But this has been a very tough job, given that he doesn't make it easy and he's kind of his own comms person and they don't have a formal comms director either. Who wants to go through the fire every day like that? Especially Trump doesn't look like he might have a second term if he loses in uh, 2020 and all the polls show that it's not looking good. Thanks to Daniel Lippman from Politico for joining us on this one. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.